Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. everybody. Welcome back to Podside. I am happily joined by Carlo Yeager, the the Sundance kid to my Butch Cassidy. How's it going, Carlo? Hopefully better than the end of that movie. (laughs) Okay, yeah, you're not wrong. I I, I should have picked something with a little more upbeat finale. (laughs) Uh, I, I wonder how many of the people uh, that are listening right now will actually get that reference based off uh, of the movie. Yeah, that's that's a really depressing thought. But I mean, at least I, I did give you the younger guy. Well, that's true. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. So um, Carlo is one of our returning champions. In fact, I think you've been on the show more than anyone else at this time point, Carlo. So uh, thanks for being willing to come back. I think I'm. Am I tied for? Am I tied with Emma at this point? Yeah, yeah. I think you're tied with Emma. Coming uh, for that, I'm coming for that title, Emma. <laughs> And uh, what we've decided to talk about today is um, the, I guess you could say, the stories we grew up on. Carlo and I were doing some talking, and we sort of realized that we sort of entered into fantasy and sci-fi in a similar way, and we have some similar frustrations with certain stories that uh, we 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 used to have ready to hand and just aren't there anymore. And we we thought we'd kind of explore that and talk through it. Uh, how you doing, Carlo? I'm doing great. Oh, wait, hold on, hold on. As is the ritual, right? Oh, nice. Yeah, what am I even thinking? Hold on. There we go. Ready to rock. Uh, Well, I've got a Coke Zero in front of me, and I've got uh, a glass with ice and a little rum for emergencies. Oh, (laughs) sounds like like a plan. uh, I'm I'm really digging what I got, which is... uh, a wicked weed coastal love hazy IPA. It's that's that's a mouthful, but yeah. it goes down smooth. So, are you an IPA guy? Uh, historically, I'm not, but I've been trying to get into it because once I get over the hoppy taste, there's a lot of interesting stuff there. Um, you know, uh, I think it's uh, it's like the perfect summer beer. So, uh, I guess. I don't know how I'm I'm new to all this too, because like Puerto Rico had like exactly one beer. <laughs> was it was, San Miguel? Uh, no, Medalla, which is the the most recent one. Uh, when I was growing up, it was like Schaefer, India, and uh, I think Medalla is rather recent. But it it's it's like a, a I think it's just like a lager, and um, it's won a bunch of awards, you know, overseas and whatnot. So uh, you know, they they bank on that quite a bit. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So I, I, uh, you know, my, my wife's from the Phils. So when I first started going there, there like San Miguel brewery was like your option. And like they, they make, they make a watery beer and they make something in the middle 
And then they make like a malt liquor called Red Horse that you pretty much have to drop ice in because it's served at like blood temperature. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and and the the thing is, when I'm there, I hate it. And I come back here and I totally miss it. So like periodically I get some and put it in my fridge, even though I know you can clean spoons with it, you know? (laughs) Well, that sounds like the... um the rum uh, in there's two rums that I know of that are similar to that in Dominican Republic that are easily found. Um, usually it was on the West coast of the Island, obviously because it's closest, but mm-hmm. uh, that was uh, Ron Flecha, which is arrow and um, Brugal, which uh, does that was mean o- like which Brugal? I'm not entirely sure. You might be right. I, I, I didn't look it up. Fair it's, enough. Yeah. It doesn't, it, it's definitely not any Spanish I know anyway. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, yeah, wow. It's like we're, we're four minutes in and we're already wildly off topic. It's awesome. <laughs> it's, it's a conversation, man. Uh, so anyway, getting back to so the IPA thing is sort of like, well, in the summer, it seems like the thing to do. Winter, it's mostly like stouts, porters and all, all that stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I And I, I mean, it's. Out in Vegas, which is where I lived up until a month ago, like I was always craving like the stouts and the heavy beers, but there was never a good time of year for them. (laughs) And so like being in a place with snow, I'm pretty excited right now. It's like, you know, I'm going to start with Guinness and start working my way up, you know? Well, you know, I I feel you coming most of my life from a place that had um, high summer, sort of cooler summer and summer that had Christmas in it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, when I go to the Philippines, it's like the weather question is, is it raining or not? And that's it. You know, Did, does the Philippines get that uh, phenomenon where you could be in a building and it's raining on one side of the building, but it's not raining on the other side? Oh, yeah. Or like you could you could walk into the middle of the street sometimes and it's raining everywhere, but somehow not on you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, and downpours like downpours with the sun shining brightly. <sighs> totally insane. Um, so let's talk books. Uh, just crazy <laughs> idea I had. Oh. <laughs> well, you know, and that's funny because we're talking about uh, two different places that are, um, uh, I, I suppose Vegas is uh, isolated, but uh, for for much of my childhood, like that was very interesting because Puerto Rico was definitely like a backwater. We didn't, we didn't have like a big, Big box. Uh, what did you call it? A big box uh, bookstore or a uh, chain anyway. Yeah. Or a chain uh, until easily like when I was adult, an adult, like there was rumors of one, but it was a, a mall that was far away. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was like a Walden books. I was like, Oh, Walden books. That sounds interesting. <laughs> um, and most of the, most of the other places uh, given the sort of more, um, I want to say European or cosmopolitan view in, in Central and Latin America uh, regarding uh, literature in general. You know, like everything's sort of everything's fiction. Everything's like a little bit of fantasy or whatever. And there's like you could go to a, a, a independent bookstore and, and find you know just like maybe there's one one shelf that's like uh, a couple of things like maybe a Star Wars book. Uh, and whatnot, but that was it. Oh, that, there was a bell book and candle for a, a little while, but that was also. A, That's a great a, name. 
Yeah. It was it was a small chain. Uh, I think it's from probably from like the southeast of the U.S. Okay, but we only had the one store. Anyway, the the point being that there was usually just like maybe one shelf where it was all sort of jumbled together. There's maybe the Hobbit, uh, the Splinter of the Mind's Eye was one that I saw. Oh but, sure, but uh, at 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 that point point I was like, why would I read a Star Wars book? I saw the movies. <laughs> Well, you know, I, oddly, it's like now that you know more, that was the right call, you know? It's it's true. It's true. But um, that, that leads us to what we're going to talk about, which is how I got into uh, a lot of the, the, the fantasy and science fiction that I know now mm-hmm. was through tie-in novels. Not Star Wars specifically, but... Um, but like other, like specifically gaming. I came in through tabletop role-playing games, D&D. yes. That's exactly what I did. So, uh, and then you realize the awful wasteland <laughs> of the TS and, and the varying quality of TSR uh, books. Yep. Well, and so what happened to me, what's interesting is I didn't hit, like, because uh, we haven't said it yet, but everybody's mouthing it in, in the audience, is we're, we're sort of talking about the Dragonlance books now. I didn't pick those up until college because what I did was I got into D&D and then there were all these similar knockoff games mm-hmm. like they uh like they made a thieves world game and I as remember a, that and as a result of that thieves world game i went out and i got the thieves world books and that's where i started getting into like the fantasy novels is because i wanted to figure out the worlds of the games i was picking up oh my i've never had that thought before well you you, you had mentioned earlier speaking of thieves world they had the what was it the Tales from the Vulgar Unicorn, which is one anthology. Yes. And then was it more Tales from the ta- uh, Vulgar Unifor- Unicorn? Um, was it, There was like two of them. Yeah. Well, the, well, there ended up being 11. Wow. But it was, okay. Yeah. It was, there was Shadow Spawn. There was, um, I, I think there was one called Stormbringer, which like they had to have gotten sued on. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to well, type I mean, I, as I go I, here. I don't know. Maybe maybe uh, they they figured or if anyone tried to come after them, it's like uh, games, um, games workshop trying to uh, trying to patent uh, Space Marine. Yeah. Oh, OK. Here we go. Thieves World and Shadows of Sanctuary were the other two that originally came out. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, what's what's interesting about those is I. It was one of my first real forays into fantasy novels that wasn't like uh, Lovecraft. And uh, when I got into it, um, they're anthologies. And so like one of the first stories in Thieves World is by A.E. Van Vogt. And so as a result, I started digging into like golden age of sci-fi guys. And they're like, I think Frederick Paul did a story. And right. so, like, I don't, I don't know how they kidnapped all these old authors, but it was a great mainline into that world. Uh, can we, can we talk about the uh, the Dragonlance books? Sure, uh, man. Yeah how how did you how did you end up picking them up, and like, what was your assessment then and now? So I haven't reread them in a long time, and I I sort of wince to think what <laughs> what I think of them now. <laughs> but I mean. Um, I definitely remember we had like a little group 
of friends um, that were just following it, like maybe about four or five in the core group in high school. Like this is maybe ninth or 10th grade. And, um, and then there were maybe about 10 other people that were sort of on the peripheries of that core group. And um, I think it came like one of us had like uh, the old dragon magazine. Oh yeah. If I remember correctly, they had like a full page ad for the upcoming Dragons of Autumn Twilight, which, I mean, let's face it, that's a great evocative title. Who who wouldn't, as a kid, want to read something with dragons and autumn twilight in it? Yeah. Uh, you know, and so, and then, of course, primary colors, nice red colors, vibrant, you know, that type of thing. And, you know, that, that, um, that sort of uh, Chiron or, or whatever you want to call it, that banner up at the top with Dragonlance, it just looks so cool. You're like, oh, what's this? And um, we, we sort of launched into it. We had all sorts of like, as we were reading it, we were like, we we would chat about it and we'd like, oh, this is what I, I think this is going to happen. And, you know, we were very involved, you know, very bought into it. And uh, we even, I think we even played at one point, we were able to, um, get the like pretty much the core group together for a gaming session, and we mm-hmm. tried to play the first uh, module of uh, Dragonlance, and it was pretty. Uh, we we got to the uh, part where the the they find the the fake dragon in the woods. Sorry, spoilers for <laughs> a thirty year old novel and game. Yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> And uh, and so we, we got to that part and then sort of it was a little too samey because we'd already read. I mean, I for me, at least I had already read it. And I was like, this is cool and everything, but this is very similar to the book. And I already read the book. Do I want to really, you know? Yeah, I mean, if you already know everything that's going to happen as a result of the the book, it, that would kind of make well. It, it's like I actually playing the Thieves World role playing game after reading the books was was an awful experience because you knew everything is as soon as you saw a character, you knew exactly what the choices they were going to make were because the the DM is going off of you know exactly what you are. There's no surprises, right? Right, and and, and for for that. You know, in that sense, the the game part of it didn't it felt a little. You were just, yeah, like you said, sort of walking on, on you know, sort of already trodden paths. Um, but the novels, we, we enjoyed them. Um, I I continued, I think, uh, what was it? The, the Dragonlance Chronicles were the first three. And mm-hmm. then after that. Uh, I, I mean, and, and just to go back real quick. It didn't hurt that the um, the D and D Saturday morning cartoon was really what put like you know like Tiamat was like front and center in a lot of those uh, yes. a lot of those episodes and stuff like that. So you 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 go oh so this is basically Tiamat, but they call it call her Takesis in the in the books or whatever. And okay, whatever. Okay, neat trick. Um, but you know you're you're already bought in because you've already you're already sort of familiar with with what you're looking at, and so, uh, f- from there I, then I, I continued on <clears throat> with the legends, which then uh, is like I guess the characters like you know Elminster and stuff, 
Well, no, that was um, the brothers, the twin brothers. It was Race Lynn and Cameron. Oh, yeah, like the 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 really smart evil wizard and the big strong dope. Yep, exactly right, exactly right. And um, that was actually uh, because they were able to strip out um, a lot of the, the the characters and give them sort of time to sort of develop and whatnot. Um, I found those to be very uh, compelling. Um, and, and they make a good argument for, for why, you know, like they make a good argument for why Raceland turns the way he does and why at the, at the very last minute, he actually has a very slight redemption, not anything that saves him and, and gets him out of off the hook or anything like that. But, uh, it, it makes perfect sense within the, within the framework of the story. And it's got time travel, like time travel in a fantasy game. <laughs> That's wild. So I've got a question about this and like I've sort of like scratched at it a little in talking to some other authors, but um, uh, authors of our generation, their entrance into the world of fantasy does seem to have some relationship to role playing games. And so like when I talked to Gibson, like he was definitely a role player at some point and he's he's hyper aware of how it ties into his writing. And um, we haven't had him on. I haven't kidnapped him yet. But China Mieville, like, clearly puts RPG tropes into his work. And, uh, well, I mean, like, I, I can see it here and there. Walter John Williams. So I guess my question is, like, your, like, the, the stories I've read of yours and loved aren't doing that. Like you're definitely picking a different like you're not you're not like, OK, this guy's a multi-class yada, yada, yada. So like what's happening there? Are you are you aware of that and regarding it as a trap and you're trying to move away from it or is it just not your style or what's going on? So that, that that's a that's actually a great insight. Um, I think uh, early on, even when I was like in like re- trying to read like these types of types of tie in novels. I always found it sort of, sort of weird to include like uh, like nomenclature that you'd find in the game. Mm-hmm. It, it it felt like it's extraneous. Like I, I I sort of would read if I'd read something like that, and you know I'm a ranger, blah blah blah. Or, you know, <laughs> I've got a sphere of annihilation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, like what? <laughs> <laughs> Like in the real world, like I'm just sort of like imagining like the next level up. If somebody's playing my character, um, you know, they think that I'm holding, you know, a refreshment plus one or, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, or whatever. Uh, me, I'm drinking a Wicked Weed Coastal IPA or whatever. Right. You know, it's got its own name within my world. I've got to keep it. Keep that in mind. And I think it's it's the. Um, it's the cor- maybe not the correct. I, I don't want to say that. I want to say it's the uh, the way that I viewed it is the way that you'd view you'd view like role playing a character. Like your character when you're in character, because this is sort of the best or worst aspects of improv and uh, you know like uh, off the cuff acting. Um, you're not going to sit there and be like. Behold, I shall you know, wallop you, sir, with my my vorpal sword plus five. Um, no, 
your sword has a name. You've given it a name. It's it's like Aragorn. You know, he's not going around saying, you know, behold, ring wraiths. I have the sword plus five of my ancestors. No, they have Anduril or Narsil. Um, thank you. Yep. Uh, so within the world, I think it's the 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 role players thing, right? You you understand that you're playing a game, but part of that is sort of carving out that space within that meta narrative uh, while you're playing the game to actually act in character, right? Um, and you have to sort of be true to the world and to your character. And I feel like that those exercises help in um, divorcing yourself, your world building or what you want to do with from the characters and what they want to do. And, you know, I'm not someone who, uh, you know, walks around saying like, oh, my character did something unexpected. It's like, because they're all me, I'm making them up. <laughs> yes. I, 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 I receive enough medication already. Thank you. I don't want any more. <laughs> and, um, you know, the, the issue is that you have to, you know, sort of commit to this sincerity in, in your own world building or your own characters so that they feel real within the, the context of their, of, of the setting and whatnot. Um, I, I think that's an early exercise in, in role-playing either as a player or, or a game master or a DM um, helps with that mainly because as a DM, then you learn how to develop a story that has a hole in it. And that hole is your characters. And they get to fill it. Yeah. Yes. I, that's a great way to look at it. I, I actually, that's kind of an exciting way to look at it. I've got to think about that. Um, I mean, if you think about it, like most of your genre sort of blockbuster fish out, of, think of it this way. Every fish out of water story is exactly that. It's a, it's a story with a hole in it. The thing is, it's not made necessarily explicit in the text of the story. It's made implicit because that character is blank. They don't do much because they're a reader insert. Think of, yeah. th think of um, not to bring up a much reviled person, but think of how bland and sort of non-exciting Harry Potter is. I've been thinking about this with Twilight too, because like the 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 main character of Twilight just seems like she's a blank board that people can pour their own aspirations on, and now the vampire likes me. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. So the the a lot of those are, are built that way, or or they maybe not built that way, um, but definitely they're structured in a way so that the reason that they resonate so well, I feel is that you do have that sort of character where there's sort of a blank slate where you're saying, like you're saying, um, the, the, the reader can then project, you know, their own, their own self into it, you know, their own desires or what have you. So I want to switch gears for a second. We, we talked a little bit about this earlier and I don't, I don't want to say talk trash, but it, it, what, uh, I, I'll, I'll talk about mine too, but like, of those starting series that get people into fantasy or science fiction, what was the one that you read back then and loathe now? <laughs> wow. Um, I think we can, uh, we could probably, uh, there's a couple of those actually. <laughs> there um, really are. Um, 
let me see here. Uh, the oh my god, Belgariad. I've I've I read both the Belgariad and the Melorian at least twice. Yes, I and 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 it's sort of the Dan Brown of fantasy novels. Like I don't know if you've I don't know if you've ever read any Dan Brown. I loathe his prose. He's just got awful prose. He's just awful characters. Just just very very bad. Yeah. But the man knows pacing back to the front, and I finished one of his books in one night. I'm glad that he didn't waste my time, <laughs> because yes. after that, I didn't want to read any more of his books. It was that bad. I mean, like the, the there were like plot holes that were incredible. Um, but I was able to finish his book in in one night, and that's the one thing I thank him for. And I feel like David Eddings has that formula, that same sort of formula down pat. His character is a little bit more exciting in a certain sense. Yeah. Well, what fascinates me is like the last time I read those books and I can't even remember where it was, I started tracking conversations and I became hyper aware that the same conversations happened like three or four times in every book. Like it was like. Silk, the thief, Prince Keldar, whatever his name is, had some conversation about being sneaky with Polgara. And she'll say, you're just terrible. And he's like, oh, aren't I, though? And I wanted to stab them both, because how many times can you have that talk? How many times did uh, Belgarath? Wait, was it Belgarath? Yes, that's the older. Yeah, yeah. He would. This was on the par with. Jordan, I'm jumping ahead here mm. with Jordan and uh, Ninaev tugging her braid or uh, any one of the other f- women characters um, sort of adjusting their skirt, smoothing their skirts out um, where Belgrath would either tug his ear or scratch his cheek as sort of like a, a weird dialogue tag uh, accompaniment. Yes. Oh my God. That drove me insane. <laughs> once or, once I started noticing that, it was just like, okay, dude, try something else. Enough. Yeah, or the uh what's the other thing? I have it like half of the the political power in the realm is on a goddamn camping trip for six books. <laughs> it's like how where are the taxes going? Who's making the decisions? How can you take every important person and like Stick him in the woods trying to to cook a steer or whatever the hell they're doing while like like don't you guys have obligations? What the hell? Well, you know, it, it, they they had such trustworthy uh, staff <laughs> that uh, they collected all the taxes and did not decide to usurp power at all. I, it would be amazing if they came back to a revolution. I would not be mad. Like that would be <laughs> such a better series. <laughs> It really would. But, you know, the thing is that um, I think I, I stumbled upon the, the secret is that um, at, a, at its heart, all of the characters in the Belgariad and the Melorian, you know, I would say that most of Edding's characters are, are not really characters. They're more like the writing equivalent of leitmotifs. You know, they're just sort of like very brief character sketches, like two or three things. Um, yes. Sort of almost like it's a, a script. You know, you're giving your character two or three um, little quirks that set them apart from every other character. Uh, and that's about it. 
Well, and there's a third thing. What they are the best at in the entire world. Oh, that's that's true. They have like their 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 bailiwick, if you will. Yes, because like nobody nobody's average. It's like you're either the best mage or you're an incredible thief or you're the strongest man. I mean, nobody's like a decent baker. Well, I mean, um, what was the name of what was the name of the the main character in in the Belgariad? Uh, Garian. Garian. I hate that this is in my head, Carlo. Uh, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> but you know, it 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 just it just occurred to me. What does being the best farmer in the world mean exactly? Like, what is that? I mean, sure, that's great, but like, what does that bring to? Uh, like a, a a world world ending quest that you can grow the biggest beets. <laughs> well, you're not wrong. <laughs> and and there's a good. He, arc- was, he was a turnip farmer, wasn't he? I I, I just made that up with the, off the off the cuff, and I, I just realized, yeah, he was a turnip farmer, right? Um, did he? He might have been. I think he might have like wandered off to do his own thing when he wasn't in charge. But I think they might have made him king. Yes. Yeah. Yes, he was. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, I, I, I have another one. You yes. Let, please. New topic. What's the other book? I mean, uh, I'm sure that Raymond D. Feist is a beautiful, beautiful man. Uh, but the Riftor saga. Th- now, that is one that definitely feels like a, a sort of like a pre uh, Steve Erickson. Uh, I wrote out my D&D game. Yes. Yeah, except except there's one character who's just a spoiler that's clearly the voice of the author, and that's uh, that's the main character of the first three books. Like, ultimately, he's a wizard that can do anything. Oh, yeah. Uh, Pug, right? Yeah, Pug. That's it. And, yeah, I mean, the dude to just crack the earth at any time, and once you realize that, like, the plot just drains out the bottom. Yeah, I mean, well, the, the plot keeps on going. It's the tension that you're like, oh, he's never going to die. Yeah, right. He's, He's in literally no immortal. <laughs> There's no danger whatsoever to this guy. Yeah. Uh, he does do a couple of interesting things, which is, I think, in, was it in Silverthorn where he poisons uh, his, is it his queen? I forget. Mm-hmm. It, yes. It's been, a, that, that's the, that's one I never reread. So it's been a while. I do want to co- comment that right around the same time, Eddings did that in a different series called The Diamond Throne, the yes. Illyrian series. So yes. I, it's like, oh, my God, like I read those within two days of one another. And I'm just like, I am going to lose my mind. <laughs> well, I mean, the, those uh, the the Diamond Throne ones were um, imagine if you had like a and d paladin, but he's dirty, hairy. Yes. <laughs> and, and deeply in love with a 14 year old. Uh, why is that? So why? Why? <laughs> And yeah. the, th- the thing is that, like, look, I am not a perfect person. I, I was totally not paying attention to that when I was reading it because I was close to, you know, 18, 17, whatever. Sure. Uh, and you think, eh. But, you know, nowadays I think, to, like, at my age now I go, oh, why is this so prevalent? Why? I, I, oh. And, and and I understand, like, okay, you're going to get all these dummies that come out crawling out of the woodwork is talking about, like, historical authenticity or whatever. And it's like, eh, it's fine. We're telling this story now. It doesn't matter. 
Yeah, and I mean, historical authenticity in a fantasy is is garbage, in my opinion, because, like, I know exactly where I would be historically during the Middle Ages. Like, I would be pulling a plow with my back. Yep, pretty much. Zero interest in authenticity. Well, even, even like, if you lived, if you were a Valene, you would still be, like, what, maybe 5% of the total population? Like, it's almost 90% of the population would be, like, like you said, like, just basically... Like farming mud or sod or something. Who knows? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Syphilis eating out your nose, like <laughs> complete illiteracy. Yeah, I've got I've got no time for it. I like give me fantasy where I can I can dream about being something better than that. Thank you. Um, yeah. You, we, the Rift War thing. One of the things I, I uh, we talked about it a little, but I, I'd like to call it out here. What? What made that series hard for me is I noticed a piece of his shtick and it began to irritate me more and more, which is every chapter begins with the noun verbed. <laughs> every one. So it's like the, the fire burned, the dog shit, the man spoke. Every single one. And it, like you gotta start a, a a chapter somewhere, but oh my lord, mix it up, buddy! <laughs> right, right, yeah. It's it, it's. I mean that it, at the end of it all, it it comes down to editing, and you know, like the 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 mid to late eighties were probably like not exact. I, I think they were just churning stuff out to keep the publishing houses or those specific areas of publishing, you know solvent because people would buy it you know it's just the way it was yeah i i think i think that's right and like i i think we've already stabbed two authors we should probably move in a different direction right now <laughs> well i mean i'll i'll tell you one that i actually um that takes a premise that is sort of well worn that i actually sort of uh liked um in in a I, I, I enjoyed them immensely while they were happening, uh, but uh, I, I don't know how they'd hold up now, which is the uh, Guardians of the Flame by uh, Joel Rosenberg. Yeah, you were talking about those before. I actually haven't read those. Really? So uh, it, it's, it's a you know, well-worn premise. A gaming group gets transported to their actual uh, game setting, uh, and they're exactly the the... the character classes that they that they're playing so you have a rogue and you have a this and you have a that um but the the interesting thing that um rosenberg does and apparently he was like a complete like a uh, second amendment rights type of guy uh who got himself arrested for uh even though he had been he had requested a permit he got arrested for uh, trying to carry open carry a uh, firearm into the Minneapolis City Council or something. Mm -hmm. um, the That's thing, amazing. <laughs> yes. So the the thing that he does is that they the characters get together and they decide to bring over like they still have knowledge from their real world, and I think they're college students, so it's a little bit more realistic. Uh, but they're able to then uh, discover and uh, create gunpowder, and from that, uh, rifles. Um, wow, that's actually a big jump. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing. It, 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 that's the one thing that was like the 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 secret sauce that made it a little bit more interesting than your standard um, sort of 
uh, fantasy fair, which is they were slowly but surely making sure that, you know, certain parts of the, the, the fantasy world got guns. Uh, and, and, I don't remember much about that other than that specific detail, but I do remember enjoying them mainly because it did sort of uh, tackle that, like this idea of you're having a sort of a, a, a jump-started um, revolution of some sort, not exactly an industrial one, but it, it's soon to come if you're starting to you know create uh, firearms you'd need to have some sort of industrial base. Um, and I, yeah. I didn't read past maybe the third one. So I, they're like, I, I, I don't remember right now, but it, it, I looked at the list and it looked like there was like maybe 10 or 12 of them. <laughs> it's a, uh, it's one of the things I'm very interested in, in, in fantasy. Like there was a time, did, did I ever tell you about the coffee table book I was working on before I discovered somebody else had done it? No, no oh. go ahead. So the basic idea is like there's a fantasy trope and we're talking about it right now where um, a guy steps through the wormhole or gets tapped by the wizard or whatever the hell it is, ends up in a fantasy realm and he introduces uh, uh, steel and soap making and, and penicillin and crop rotation. But none of us know how to do any of that stuff. Like, if you put us in a fantasy realm, we'd pretty much all die of starvation. So what I designed or was starting to design was the coffee table book that you grab when the wormhole opens. Mm, Okay. So it's like, these are the basic steps of how you would make gunpowder. And this is how you would create wire using a, a a water wheel or like whatever it is. But the idea would be to sort of build things in stages. So you'd have a one. And I mean, sort of, it's sort of making fun of the whole idea, but it also be, it was a cool research project, but it turns out somebody else did it, you know? Oh, okay. Well, it was a good idea. Uh, yeah. Somebody weird, weirdly, uh, and, and sort of in, uh, in the spirit of your own, uh, your own theme, somebody independently, uh, Invented it. Yes, exactly, exactly. Uh, which uh, I mean, I'm I'm sure I'm sure in, in the, you bring the book back, and that would happen once in a while. <laughs> so, did, had you ever um, had you ever read or, or had any contact with the ElfQuest books? Um, I was aware of their existence, and I'd certainly seen a lot of like graphics and stuff from them, mm-hmm. but I never actually sat down and read the books. I, I assumed they were soft porn. I'll be honest. You're you're not very far off the mark. Um, I, I remember there was uh, this was like uh, like basically just just to give you an idea, uh, like the uh, Belgaria, the Melorian, um, the Rift War, you know, the Guardians of the Flame, Elf Quest. Um, these all sort of were made available to me when I was like in the Navy, uh, mainly because there was one guy that had a car. We would go down to the uh, Five Corners Mall or whatever it was called. Uh, there was exactly one bookstore, and I saw the artwork. I was like, "Oh, cool!" And you know, we'd go over you know every once in a while, maybe maybe one once a week or twice, once every payday, sure. and I end up picking up another ElfQuest book because the artwork was good. Uh, the, the story was cool. Uh, it, it seemed that the elves, 
I'm working off of memory here because I haven't really touched upon those in a long time. Sure. But if I remember correctly, the elves were actually, um, they had crash landed. They were like from the stars. So they were like really sort of aliens who had sort of become uh, acclimated to the planet. And the elves that you find have, um, each of the elven uh, sub-races would then attune themselves to a creature that lived on the planet. And the ones that we find initially are wolf riders. So they they had sort of, they lived in sort of like a weird um, semi-desert or arid area, and they were wolf riders. They had attuned themselves with wolves. So, uh, yeah, but you're not... Absolutely, you're 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 really not off the mark. Uh, these were really sort of, um, sort of uh, romance, almost erotica, very horny, and I feel like these are the axis between horny fantasy and definite furrydom. Amazing. I <laughs> I kind of want to check them out. I it's. Like it, it's sort of that thing when, uh, like, they also sound good, but like, I, I could see where I think of the the seventeen year old me would have been more excited, you know? Oh yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I get it. <laughs> but um, on another note, I think uh, they're written by Paul and Wendy Deeney. Okay, if I remember correctly, it can't be a coincidence. I'm thinking that they may have written ElfQuest and then gone on later on to write for the Batman animated series. Oh, neat. I it, think so. This kind of reminds me of the the Cerebrus comics. Did you ever read that? I read exactly one of those. Mm-hmm. I, I really dug the artwork. Um, I could get past the weird, he's an aardvark. Uh, yes. Barbarian. <laughs> uh, aspect of it, uh, but then like, I think I wasn't really ready for the um, sort of for a comic that was ostensibly about a barbarian aardvark uh, to be profound and have like these weird, very profound storylines. Well, there's a um, there's a journey the author takes as he's writing them, where like from from Conan fetishist to men's right activist. That's a very, I mean, I'm more interested in that than the story, to be honest, because mm. it, it bleeds through as he goes. Like at the very beginning, it's sort of like, well, you know, this aardvark is kick ass. And towards the end, it's like Sharon took the kids, you know? Mm. Well, well, if I remember, hold on. I do remember a little bit about that. Um, and he later on had this weird relationship with, a very young uh, other artist, comic book artist. I, I am blanking right now, but I definitely remember that there was like some some controversy about that, and it's not it's not pleasant. Um, oh, I was going to say, uh, I just checked it out. Um, I misspoke. Uh, Paul Dini wrote Batman in the animated series, but the ElfQuest books were written by Wendy and Richard Peeney. Okay, uh, not. Apparently related. Well, you know, in some ways, that's even more interesting. I mean, <laughs> like, what are the odds of that? Yes. Well, you know. Uh, but yeah, the famous peenies. Yeah. <laughs> so 
Um, we were going to start getting into, uh, uh, like the, the, the pulp magazines and the short stories and the ones we lost, but honestly, we're, we're pretty deep into this episode. Would it be all right if I invited you back another time to do that? No, that's fine, man. Awesome. I would dig it. Okay. Well, uh, guys, uh, it's, it's, I've really enjoyed this. I hope the audience didn't. And if you don't, uh, send Connor a hostile note. And uh, we'll pick it up from there. Oh, we could do a cross, uh, just send all the emails to Virgil. Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Virgil, Texas is our complaint department. Yes, yeah, send all emails to Virgil, too. <laughs> maybe maybe you'll get uh, Will back on if we do that. Absolutely, if only to tell us to stop. <laughs> right, just pleading. Please don't do that anymore. All right. Well, I already know the trick with him. We've got to do Highlander too. He'll come out of the woodwork for that. Oh, wow. Okay. That's, yeah, that's a, that's a get. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thanks again, Carlo. Yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. Bye, everybody. <laughs>